0: Brand new series, glad you're here today for all that God has in store for us. If you've ever lost something before, you know the emotional toll that can sometimes take on you. I mean, just lose your phone for a minute, right? And we all know what that moment of terror is like. And instantly you're retracing your steps and then the energy that goes into trying to find that thing. So that's happened to us before in our home. We've lost phones. We've lost keys. Nothing worse than losing a pair of keys, turning the whole place upside down, right? Uh, We've lost important papers. You just go on this pursuit, really, to try to find that thing that's lost. We all know what that's like. So recently in our house, the strangest thing has come up missing. Our jar of honey. I don't know what happened to it. I mean, Taylor was the last one that had it, and so, yeah, she says she put it back. So I don't know, but we can't find it anywhere. You know, we've looked all through the kitchen, every cabinet, all the places that you, you wouldn't put honey, because I don't know, Taylor might have done that. I don't know. So uh, we looked in the toy room, because Taylor goes in there sometimes, not because she plays with the toys, but because her child plays with toys. I'm really giving Taylor a hard time, but it's true. So, and, you know, look in the pantry, you look everywhere to try to find the honey, and we just could not find it anywhere Finally, I had to just break down and buy another jar of honey. So it's probably gonna turn up now. That's how it usually works, right? You know, you can't find the thing that you're looking for, and you go replace it, and all of a sudden, oh, well, there it is. So I figured Taylor would call us and say, it's at our house. So I don't know. There's a pursuit that goes on when things are lost. Jesus knows what it's like to see something Be lost. Jesus knows because you and I were what were lost. And He knew and knows the heartache of watching us flounder in our lostness. And the Bible says that He comes in pursuit while we are lost, while we are sinners. Christ died for us, He loved us while we were lost. And he came in active, passionate, planned pursuit to win us back. And then when you and I respond by faith and believe and we are saved, we are found, and we are no longer lost, he does something within us. He puts something new within us. He puts his spirit in us, and his spirit seeks after what is lost, and so it awakens within us a passion for things that have been lost, right? Something greater than just jars of honey and telephones. He puts in us a passion for things and people, people in our family that don't know him, people who have turned away from God, denied him, people who are living in rebellion against God, people who may have come to him, but they are living in denial of the reality of his life in their life, and they're hurting themselves, and they're hurting others, and there's brokenness, Maybe that lost thing that He's awakened a passion in you for is a relationship with someone who's walked away. Maybe it's the loss of closeness between you and a friend or a family member. Maybe it's an area in your life that has been lost, and God has put within you a passion for that. In this series, we are going to explore what it means to hear the Spirit of Christ in us, longing with pursuit for the things and the people that have been lost. So here's what the Bible says about Jesus and his desire for things that are lost. Look what it says in Luke 19. This is a verse that's going to really kind of focus this whole series. Jesus himself said, for the son of man, he puts himself in our shoes. He can relate to us he is the son of man and the son of God. He has come to seek and save that which was lost. Now, if you've been around the faith for a while, you've heard this verse probably countless times. And you probably have heard it in terms of what I've mentioned so far this morning in terms of people who are lost, people who have denied God, people who are living in rebellion to God, people who won't accept his peace and and rescue for their life. But Jesus, I think, has that in mind, and he has something even bigger in mind, because I want to draw your attention back to this verse. Because Jesus did not say, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save those who were lost. He did come to seek and save those who were lost. But Jesus is specific. Jesus doesn't just uh, happenstance upon words. Jesus chooses words specifically. And here, Jesus says, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. That. That's a reference to a thing. That's a reference to something, not just to someone. And we know he's come for someone because we are those someone's. But here, Jesus is referring to something different. I believe something bigger. He came to seek with intention. He came to save, to change it completely. That which was lost. Now, if the spirit of Christ in us is still having a heartbeat for the things that are in Christ, then it's important that you and I understand what that is. Because if we are gonna do what Jesus did, if we were gonna walk where Jesus walks, if we're gonna have the same heartbeat that Jesus has, then we've got to understand what the that is. Because that was God's will for him. That is what drove everything that he did. That framed every decision he made. And that is his purpose for our lives. Our message today is called, That is God's will for you. Man, I remember when I was in college, I was a new believer and this question consumed me. I wanted to know what God's will for my life was. And I wanted him to give me the Google Maps version. This was long before even Google Maps was a thing. I wanted to see the big plan. I wanted to know what was gonna happen at year one, three, five, 10. I wanted to know all of that. He didn't show me. He showed me the next step to take. And that got me to year one, three, five, 10, and so forth. But here, I believe the Bible unfolds for us and Jesus tells us what is the big picture will for every one of our lives. And this one thing, as it framed God's will for Jesus, as it framed every decision he made, this one thing too, the that is God's will for us. Now, to understand that, we have to go back. We're gonna go back to the beginning of Scripture. You'll notice we do that a lot here because Scripture is whole, amen? Old Testament, New Testament is all God's word. The story is complete from beginning to end. Uh, The Old Testament is not God waking up on the wrong side of the bed and New Testament, him waking up on the right side of the bed. That's not what it is. It's an entire story, one story, and it is complete. The Old Testament, like I told you last week, is the best commentary for the New Testament. God's word is complete. So we go back to the beginning and we know that God created Adam and Eve and he put them in a garden and he intended them for them to live life with him as the center of their life. That they would depend on him for direction, for provision, for everything. That when they needed to know what was right and wrong, they would look to him to be the one to tell them and he put a tree in the midst of the garden and said, I don't want you to eat from this tree because this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to eat from that and you be the one who determines what's good and evil. I want you to depend upon me to tell you what's good and evil, amen? I wanna be the center of life, not because God's selfish and needy, but because they would need him and he designed life so that he might be the center. And we all know the story. Adam and Eve took from the tree because they were deceived by the enemy. The enemy said, hey, has God really said that you would die if you ate from this? Is it really that important that he be the center? Can't you or shouldn't you be the one to gain information? Shouldn't you be the one to make all the information and choices yourself? You don't really need God to be the center. He can just play a side role. He can just be a piece. You can know and you can choose and you can do. And they did and they died. The minute that they ate from it, they died. They physically continued to live, but their spirit died in that moment and they hid from God. The life that they were intended to have with God at the center, they rejected and pushed away and they lost the life that they were intended to have because God had wanted a people on the planet who would live with him at the center. Remember that. We go forward in scripture, we know that God calls Abraham and he chooses him to be one that he will now birth a nation through and God will begin to raise up a new group of people and he says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to all nations and all people God says, I'm going to raise up a new group of people. It'll start with Abraham and Sarah. And they are to teach, train, have children, and those who follow them will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And they will be a blessing because this will be the new people group that God will work through to show the world what it looks like with God at the center So we know that Moses comes along in the story and God gives to Moses the law. He says, here is what it looks like now for you to live as a people with God at the center. Here are laws regarding health, family, forgiveness. Here are laws regarding how you relate to one another, what family is to look like, how you relate to others outside your own nation. And the law was complete and detailed. And it described this way of life with God at the center. And God chose the nation of Israel to be that people who would show to the entire world what it looks like for God to live as the center of life. It wasn't because they were special, talented, popular, or rich. He just chose them because he wanted to choose them. That's what God does. The book of Deuteronomy confirms all of this. And it says in Deuteronomy 7:6, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. It wasn't because they had done anything to deserve it, but it was because God wanted to have a people on the planet who would show everyone, all nations, what it looked like to have God at the center. As the New Testament, I'm sorry, the Old Testament rolls on, Israel has some ups and some downs. There's some division. There's some pain. There's loss. And there's ultimately the loss of the way of life for a people as a group to have God at the center. So when the New Testament opens, Jesus steps on the scene. And he comes to bring a new way and to call his people, he is ultimately rejected as we know. But Jesus says as he ministers, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. A way of life on planet earth that displayed to everyone what it looks like when God is at the center of those people's life. Amen? Track it with me so far? So God has always desired that. Jesus desired that. And Jesus had a phrase that he used to describe what he meant you'll find in the New Testament the phrase, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus had come to bring that way of life back into existence, and he called it the kingdom of God. And he even referred to his preaching being about the Kingdom of God. Look at this verse that tells us what Jesus' uh, purpose was. He said that he said to those in that day, he said, "I must preach the Kingdom of God because for this purpose I have been sent." You say, "Well, I thought that was just like about heaven." It kind of is. Ultimately, in heaven, the Kingdom of God will reach its fullest extent. But remember what Jesus told his disciples about how to pray? He said, Pray, your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. He said, Pray, your kingdom come. Mm. Jesus said, uh, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus had in mind that he wanted to seek and save those who were lost, but he had also come to reestablish on earth the kingdom of God so that there would be a people who would live with God as the center of their lives. Every decision, every purpose, every desire, every motivation driven by him. Him at the center, him at the foundation, him as the driving force. You even get into the book of Acts after Jesus has ascended back to the Father and you find who we know of as the Apostle Paul later in the book of Acts after he meets Jesus. He reaches a place later in his life and the Bible even says that he was consumed with this very thing as well. In Acts 28, 31, it says that Paul was preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. It's the kingdom that he came to restore on earth that there might be on earth a living example to everyone. Here's what it looks like for a people to live with God At the center, you move on in the New Testament and Peter writes, and he talks now about a new people group. And guess who this new people group is? It's called the church, the called out ones. We are now the chosen people who were called to live on planet earth as those who live with God at the center of our lives. Not on the periphery, but in the center. Peter would write in chapter two of his first letter, verse nine and 10, and he would say, but you, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God. The church would become the people group, the holy nation in a sense, who are called to live out this new way, which is the old way, but it's now Jesus in the center of the way. Amen. Do you know in the book of Acts what the believers, the early church, were called by others? They were called the way. That's right. They were followers of the way. Interesting. There was a way of living, a way of life that is the kingdom life that is lived with Jesus at the center. And the believers in the New Testament understood this truth. And they were consumed with this truth that we must live now as people of the kingdom who live with Jesus at the center. And the church is an experience that shows that. The church is the one who teaches that. The church is the one who proclaims the gospel that gives you entrance into that. And the church is the one who's given the keys to the kingdom. Amen. We are the ones called to be the teachers, the evangelists, the the ones who live with Jesus as the way of our life. Amen. Amen. And this is what Jesus came to pursue because this is the that that was lost. And this is the that that you and I are called to live in pursuit of that which was lost. Now, I'll just say up front, I'm completely excited about this series. I have been praying, our staff's been praying about what we would like to see God do in our midst, what we believe he wants to do in our midst. That this might awaken in us as a church first, a greater sense of purpose for why we exist and that individually we might come to a greater understanding of why we personally exist. And it fuel us, it fire us, it frame everything about us just like it did in Jesus. He said, for this purpose is why I was sent. And I can get truly excited about us individually and us as a church coming to the end of this series and saying, this is why we have been sent. Amen? Amen. So this is what Jesus came for. We get this sometimes confused in our own thinking and sometimes in the culture because sometimes salvation has gotten limited down to just a piece of my life people want to get saved so they can go to heaven but that salvation has little to do with their life. You know what I'm talking about? You, ever, you remember that experience yourself? I remember it for me. But I also know there are a lot of people that exist like that today. They, they got their ticket to heaven, they would say. They got their eternity secured and they don't live with any relevance of that touching the reality of their life. They don't know what that has to do with that. But that has everything to do with that. Amen? Because Jesus came to seek and save that and that that was lost. A way of life with Jesus at the center. And churches miss this. And it just seems like it's been a landslide miss in the last year or two years. Churches have bought into this idea that salvation is for a religious Sunday experience and that salvation and this Bible have little to do with what's going on culturally around us. And that is a lie. That has everything to do with that. What the Bible has to say about all that out there is important and is true and is relevant, and shame on the body of Christ for pulling away and going with the flow of the world and not choosing to speak out about all that, amen? We are called to speak truth into the culture. We are called to seek and save a way of life that we have been called to as those who have been given entrance into the kingdom of God. Not just heaven someday, but the reality of the king on the throne today. Amen? This is how you and I are called to live. And when we believe this way, when you understand that this is what Jesus was talking about, then you realize that the gospel, you realize that the Bible has something to say about every area of life. And we are called to speak into that. So let's let this circle here represent what we'll call kingdom life. This is life with God's word at the center. What he has said, what he has called us to, the Bible describes what it means to know him through Jesus Christ, to have redemption, to have salvation, but not just as a separate religious experience because the Bible speaks to every part of who I am in my soul. Now, if you remember our past series, I'm not talking about just your spirit, that part that is saved, but I'm talking about your mind, your will, your emotions, your behavior, your memories, your relationships, everything that makes up who you are, the Bible speaks into all of that. The Bible speaks about how we can have peace in our mind. The Bible speaks about how we can have our emotions reframed to feel what God feels and not just have our life driven by what we feel. The Bible talks about how we can have our behavior conformed to be like that of Jesus Christ and live in obedience to him. This is salvation, not segmented from our life, but the basis of our life that changes everything about who we are. Amen. This is where I find truth for me personally, for you personally. This is where you frame your life. This today, this gathering is not to be a segmented piece of your life. It is to be part of the foundation of who you are as a child of God, belonging to the church of Jesus Christ, living out the realities of the kingdom of God here on this earth. Amen. 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 Yeah. Come on. So The Bible speaks about all of that and it is to frame who we are. The Bible also speaks about marriage and it defines what marriage is. Marriage is a man and a woman. Not two men, not two women, not two people who once were men, think they're women, not confused. I mean, not certain about who they are, but they're confused. No, it's a man and a woman surrendered to God. This is God's design for marriage. Because marriage is a picture, the Bible says, of what it means to know God. The husband is to love his wife like Christ loves the church. And a wife is to love her husband in the same way that the church loves Christ. It's a kingdom matter. Marriage is to be a kingdom experience that's to reflect the kingdom of God, a way of life on earth. And that's why you're going to hear us speak about that here at Vertical. Because we are talking and preaching about a way of life that is established for us by God in his word, commanded by Jesus and to picture Jesus and to glorify Jesus. We cannot alter that idea because the world wants to change the definition. We cannot go down that path because we are living a life and seeking to teach and preach a life that is kingdom life. It's a way of living, and the Bible speaks about that. The Bible also speaks about education. The Bible has a plan for how you and I as parents are to train up our children. We're to train them and raise them up in the ways of God. We're to bring them up and teach them. In Deuteronomy, it said, parents, you're to teach them when you rise up in the morning, when you sit down for breakfast, when you get up and you're walking in your house, when you get up and you walk out of your house, when you're working, when you're talking, when you come back into your house, when you lie down, when you get up, your life is to be a continual teaching, preaching message of this is the way of following God. Amen. It's what we're called to as believers. This is our responsibility. And I, I just marvel that some buy into the idea that the way Christian parents are to teach is to lay out all the options before their kids and let them choose which way they should go. Come on now. We are to be teachers, evangelists, proclaimers of the way. You didn't come here this morning for me to tell you about Jesus Buddha, Mormonism, Catholicism, and at the end of the service say, which one do you want? Hello? You came here and we exist here to proclaim the good news of the way of following Jesus only. And so when it comes to training children, God help a child who is somehow supposed to choose between evolution and creationism, who is somehow supposed to choose the gender given to them by God or some gender fluid discussion given by some strange, hmm. Someone who's dressed like a woman but is a man pretending to be a man who really is a wife It's weird. God helped children who are supposed to somehow decide and figure all that stuff out on their own. That's not the way it was meant to be. Followers of Jesus Christ, those within the kingdom of God were to teach the way. We are called to that. And you'll find that here at Vertical Church, not just because we're some standalone group, but because we have all banded together as a people who say this is what we do. We are teaching the kingdom of God and a way of life that shows Jesus at the center. Amen? So marriage is that for one man, one woman, a covenant. Education is that based upon scripture. It wouldn't hurt my feelings if one day there was a vertical School and a vertical college and a vertical seminary that was teaching a way of life for children and families and those who graduated from high school into college and those who were training others for ministry today. Because, God help us, it's not happening out there like it used to. Even schools that call themselves Christian, I'm not naming any names. They've lost this distinctiveness right here. Teaching a way of life with God at the center. Purpose or soul, marriage, education, God also has a way that law should exist. The kingdom of God has a way of life that is intended to be lived based upon the Ten Commandments based upon the truth of God's word, based on integrity, based on justice that is on truth. You know, it's the Bible that said, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. The Bible said that. The Bible established long before the great minds of recent generations wrote about law. The Bible intends for the community of God, the kingdom of God to be lived based on the laws of God. Not on racial equity of deciding what is right based on the color of your skin or based on social equity based on your needs or dysfunctions having truth adjusted or bent for you. God established that the kingdom would be a realm in which people live their lives based on absolute truth found in God's word. Amen. There's a way of life that is to be lived even with science at the core, or based on the core of God's word. God has given us creation, book of Romans says, that the invisible things of God might be seen in the visible handiwork from his hands. And those who have faith to believe in kingdom life Will look at life and see God's hand. But those who are godless will look at the creation and see a godless creation. They'll come up with some scheme that says the earth is billions of years old, that we've come from some ooze, that we have evolved over time. Because what your worldview is will determine how you see life. And as the people of God, we are called to live with God at the center and science being shaped by what God says in his word. You say, but sometimes the Bible and science don't agree. I would disagree. The Bible is true, is true, is true, is true, is true. Where science disagrees, science Hadn't caught up. Science is in disagreement. If you put two facts before me and one of them is God's word and something else is some science or scientist report, I'm just telling you, I don't care how many facts this person has, I'm always going to go with God's word. I don't follow degrees, I follow the word. Amen? All right? Amen. even when it comes to medicine god has established that we are his creation god has established that the most important part of who you are is not your body but your spirit life comes from what is inside you in your spirit and i'm not going to preach my entire series again from these last 2 months But I will say to you, when there is dis-ease in your spirit and soul, you will most likely have dis-ease in your body. God's goal is to have health and life in your spirit. And when you are freed from bitterness, resentment, guilt, shame, isolation, rejection, depression, anxiety, when you're freed from those things in your spirit, you will find a greater place of health in your emotions and your mind And your body is true. And God intends us to live with that as our core. He never intended for the health industry to be a profit machine. Because when profit becomes more important than truth, people will bend some facts to get the profit. And when that happens, people like you and I end up being the victims of the perversion. Right? Right? We end up paying the price for a lack of health because some are choosing to go with the money they make over the truth that God has spoken. Medicine. Let me add another one up here. Business. God's designed for people to earn a living. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a profit from business that you sell. But God says, The greatest among you will be the servant of all. Jesus said that. If you want to have a successful business, don't set out to please yourself. Be determined to please and help other people and make a reasonable profit. Don't gouge people. Don't cheat people. Don't profit off of people exceedingly. Seek to earn. Seek to work. Seek to be honest. Seek to do good for people. This is the kingdom way. Jesus said, again, whoever wants to be great in the kingdom, make yourself the servant of all. Amen? Let's just put another one up here and just get all rattled about stuff. Government. Look, I'm just telling you about a way of life right here. Are these not the areas of life? God has a purpose for every one of them. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, a way of life on earth with Jesus at the center. There is nothing wrong with having government. I know you're asking, are you sure? No, really. But government is to recognize that there is an ultimate king. His name is Jesus. And when we live... With him and the government being upon his shoulders, as Isaiah would say, then we live with life based on his values, his pursuits. And we seek, like Jesus does, for people to be free. Free to make their decisions. Free to own their property. Free to work. Free to own possessions free to live their lives, free to worship, and not controlled by the mandates and dictates of an earthly government. Hello? There's room. There's a place. There's a need need for law. But it's to be understood within the framework of the kingdom of God first and only. This is what has been lost. Hello? Hello? We all recognize it in our day, in our land, a land that once held to truer values regarding these areas. Even in our land, it has and is being lost. And Jesus established the church and gave the church the keys of the kingdom to unlock and to lock, to open and to shut, and to establish this life. This is what you and I are called to teach. This is what we must live out together. This is why we exist. But there's another version out there today that is tragically sad to me. And it is not a kingdom life model, but it is a religious life model. And at the center of this model, I'm not going to go around all eight of these. You can breathe a sigh of relief. It's okay. (laughs) I understand what time it is. The religious life takes God and says, has God really said? And it believes the lie of the serpent and pushes it aside and replaces the center with me. I will choose what I believe is right. I feel this way, so I'll go this way. I want to do this way, so I'll go this way. And I'll do God a favor. I'll do myself a favor and I will let Him in as a segment of my life. I'll give him Sunday morning and boy, I'll feel good about going to church and you know, he'll be a good phone call text away for me when I have my hard times in all the other areas of my life. When these things start going south on me, I'll pray to God. I'll ask him to help me. I'll ask him to deliver me. I may even make a few promises to him, but I don't know. But I'm going to keep him as a separate part of my life so that what I do and believe here doesn't touch the other areas of my life. I keep him separate. This is where many religious people live. They live with Jesus as a part of their life They wanna cry out to him when their marriage is not going well, but they really don't wanna talk to him or hear what he has to say about how to make their marriage glorify God. They wanna cry out to him when their finances aren't going so well or business is going south, but they're not interested in living their life under the integrity and lordship of Jesus Christ in their business. They wanna keep Jesus out of the business. They wanna keep Jesus silent in the business. They wanna keep Jesus separate Keep Jesus separate from government. Keep Jesus separate from education. Keep him on the side. The school's got their thing, but we got our thing. It's a separate thing. They want to change it from kingdom life to religious life and put Jesus as a piece of that life. And they wonder why their life absolutely tanks. Because Jesus called us to live with him at the center Not a compartmentalized spoke on the wheel of life where he is separate from all the other areas. He calls us to whole living. And this, I'm afraid, is what has brought us to where we are as a culture today because generations before us, Christianity was characterized by this. And a gospel that's not livable is a gospel that's not believable. And when it's not livable in all of these areas and I segment him out from them and you believe the lie... You reduce them down to something small, and it becomes very distasteful, very uninteresting, very boring, very powerless. And you get what's happening in our nation today to the church at large. Powerless churches who are performing and going through the motions but there's no life change, there's no surrender, there's no passion, there's no pursuit. They're just playing the game instead of living with Jesus at the absolute center, making all the decisions for every part of their life. Amen? Kingdom living. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now there's one other version. We're called to kingdom life. Often people substitute it with religious life. The other version is a completely godless life. This is where Jesus is removed outside the sphere. And Jesus and the Bible and anything to do with it is actually canceled. Because we don't want to have him to do anything with life. That's too narrow. That's too restrictive. That's too offensive. And they want to put things in place like a ministry of truth to try to undo what the church is saying. Do you get what I'm saying here this morning? If you've watched the news, you know what I just said. If not, over the coming weeks, you will. Because this life says, no, man is the ultimate center of life. Man decides what the soul needs, what marriage is, what education is, what law is, what science is, how medicine functions, how business operates, how government should function without any reference to Christ. You recognize that life? It's in complete war against the kingdom life. But this is what you and I are called to personally. I believe this is what you and I are called to socially even do. I believe it is our responsibility as the church to live in such a way, shape our lives in such a way, and cause others to be led to a way that this is what even culture looks like. And if you believe that, you know at some point there are going to be some grand political moments Because you and I are not called to live a faith that is separate from the reality of life. You and I are called to live a life that has Jesus at the center. And it's not just my salvation alone. It is a way of living. And that will bump up against the world. Amen? And you and I are called to live in this way. Now, let's read a passage of scripture and we'll finish up today. Because I wanna show you where... The story is and the context of Jesus saying he came to seek and save that which was lost. So turn to Luke 19. And here we have a story beginning of verse one <clears throat> about Jesus and how he comes to make this statement about that which was lost. Verse one says, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus, a man that we'll find from a Jewish background, a man who's working, though, for Rome, a man who is a tax collector, a man who's carrying out the laws that often were against believers, a man who is collecting those and often having to put Christians in some very awkward positions, followers of the way in awkward positions, and Zacchaeus He's making money off this deal. He's banking off of being a tax collector because he's t- collecting some and he's taking some. And he's accusing some and he's taking some. And he's getting paid a lot and he's gotten rich off of a way of life. The Bible says that he sought to see who Jesus was. He had heard about Jesus. He had heard about this gospel of the kingdom. he heard about the kingdom of God and a way of life. And Zacchaeus is interested because the way he's walked in, the pursuits that he has had are not panning out like he thought. He's got lots of money, but he's got lots of problems. He's rich and he's powerful, but he is broke on the inside. He sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. Poor Zacchaeus, this dude's short, and he can't see. He can't get up into the front of the line to see. And I bet those who were there weren't offering Zacchaeus any ups in line. It's like, oh, no, dude, really? uh -uh." It's Zacchaeus. It's tax collector guy. No, mm -mm, sorry. No one's given him any ups to get to the front of the line where he wants to be to see who Jesus is and what he is all about. Verse four, it says, so he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Zacchaeus is resourceful. He goes ahead, he goes down the path a little bit, finds a tree, climbs up in it, positions himself and says, I'm waiting here. I can see him from here. Verse five, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, Zacchaeus must have been up in that tree. He's short, but he's up, and Jesus, it says, looks up, and it says, and he saw him, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Of all the people, Jesus chooses Zacchaeus because Jesus sees heart. Jesus sees what's going on inside. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. Boy, I'm coming to your house today. You need to hurry up and get on there because I'm coming there today. So the Bible says, uh, in verse 6, it says, So he made haste, and he came down and received him joyfully. Now, Luke is telling the story for us here in his gospel. And Luke is telling us the facts but I want you to understand the story has a little bit of time gap to it here. We read it and it just happens, you know, just like this. But there's a little bit of delay here because he comes down. Uh, he receives Jesus joyfully. They hug and they talk. And then they start making their way to his house. And it says verse 7, but when they saw it, when the crowd saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. Everyone else knows who Zacchaeus is. They're like, we don't like that guy. And Jesus is going to have dinner at his house. Really? Come on, Jesus. What are you doing? It's Zacchaeus. We don't. No one likes him. Verse eight. Then Zacchaeus. Now this is where the pause is right here. So just let's just take a deep breath for just a moment. There. That gave Zacchaeus time to get home, and prepare a meal in the story. So Zacchaeus prepares a meal. Uh, Jesus comes in. He's got some of the guys with him, and they're having conversation. And now. Our story picks back up, verse eight. Then Zacchaeus stood, he stands up at dinner and he says to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. The actual verb usage here, I believe is I will give. Jesus because of what I have now known about you, Jesus because of who you are, Jesus because of this life that you say you have, Jesus because of the kingdom. Jesus, I will give half my goods to the poor. I'm going to change how I live. I will be different. I've stolen from the poor. Now I will give to the poor. I've taken from those who didn't have, but now I'm going to give to those who are poor. And He says, "I'm going to give half of my goods. Can you imagine? Just taking half of what you have and just give it away. It's how rich he was, but it is also how changed he was. A man who took from everybody now says, I'm going to give to everybody. Zacchaeus must have heard Jesus say, those who are great in the kingdom are servants of all. Zacchaeus must have heard Jesus talking about, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Zacchaeus must have heard all these things and said, I'm changing. I'm gonna change how I live. The second part of verse eight, it says, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore fourfold. If I've cheated anybody in my business, if in my line of work, I have falsely accused, taken advantage of, if I have not been living kingdom, but have been living this or this. He says, now I'm going to change. He says, I'm going to restore four times. If I cheated someone of an equivalent of hundred dollars, I'm going to give them $400 back. If I've cheated someone the equivalent of thousand dollars, I'm going to give the equivalent, I'm going to give 4,000 back to them a different mindset has come over Zacchaeus. He is gonna change how he lives. He's gonna go from godless or religious to kingdom life where truth now shapes everything that he does. It's not segmented, it becomes the basis for it. And look what Jesus says. And Jesus said to him in verse nine, today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. Jesus said, change has come here today. This man has been found. This man who was lost is now saved. Now comes verse 10. And Jesus says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I came for you But what has happened here today is you have exchanged a way of life that doesn't include me to now me being the center of your life. You're gonna give fourfold to those you've cheated. You're gonna give to anyone that you falsely accused. This is kingdom life. And Jesus says, this is what I've come to restore. This is what I've come to seek and to save. Because the world needs an accurate picture of what it looks like to live with Jesus at the center. And this is our call. So I'd ask you today, which one of these is you? Which of these describes how you live your life? Maybe it's where it's all about you and there's no Jesus. I would call you today to cry out to God and ask him for life. To say, Jesus, I have lived so selfishly. I've denied the reality of you. Today, forgive me. I want to make you a Lord of my life. It may be that you've lived a religious life where Jesus has played a part that's segmented that doesn't impact the other areas, and you keep him pretty resourced off to the side. He's there if you need him, but he doesn't drive every other area of your life. And today, he's calling out to you to say, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundant. I wasn't just talking about heaven. I'm talking about that and life here. Would you live now with your life rooted and based with Jesus as King and Lord at the center. This is our call today. I'm excited for what's ahead for us as a church as we live with this kind of pursuit to pursue those who are outside the faith, to pursue those who are denying the faith, but to pursue a lifestyle that we live under that acknowledges Jesus as Lord over all. And we boldly proclaim it, unashamedly proclaim it, and wholeheartedly pursue it. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I'm just so grateful that you have a purpose for our life bigger than even what we know. Today, I thank you for your word that has cracked open a new way for us to see life. And I pray that we, your church, would pursue what you pursue those who are lost but also that which has been lost in our lives personally I pray we would pursue you being Lord over all things but also I pray that we would pursue a way of life together that teaches calls out to and lives in obedience to a way of life. That has been lost, but that your church would seek first the kingdom of God above all things. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.